Father in heaven, how great you are. What an awesome God you are. Today, as we begin this new year, Lord, we pray for your presence. We invite the Holy Spirit to come into our lives individually and as a church, that we would be the people and the faith community that you would like us to be. We know that in ourselves we are powerless, but through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can accomplish great things. So, Lord, as we go through the Bible passages and stories today, we pray that you'll anoint our minds and commission us for action. In Jesus' name, amen. So around the world today, Seventh-day Adventist churches are joining in this day of prayer and fasting, a day of prayer particularly for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there are three invitations that uh, I'm going to share with you that, that uh, begin our study as far as why this is such an important and appropriate thing. The first invitation comes from Jesus himself. And it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. It's at the close of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I'm reading from verses 7 through 11. And then we'll make a few comments about it. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And of, of course, prayer is the, is the medium by which we make our request known. Now, this is a, 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 there's an interesting and, and simple way to remember the steps that Jesus talked about here. He said, ask, seek, and knock. And if you think about it, the first of those, the word ask, has only three letters, but each of those letters is the first letter of these three items, isn't it? Ask, A-S-K, ask, seek, and knock. That's an easy way to remember that. The second thing that I want to point out is that in the language of the New Testament, there is a particular emphasis that is given in the verbs that are in this passage. It is what we call a continuative emphasis. In other words, it would actually be appropriate and even better to translate it, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And what is the importance of that? It's because we need to be persistent or a word that sometimes come up, comes up, importunate. We need to be persevering in our prayers in seeking the Holy Spirit. If we just pray one time and feel like, all right, we've done it, that that's over now, we can, we can go on, it may not happen, probably won't happen. But if we follow the counsel of Jesus and keep on asking, seeking, and knocking, the gift will be given. The other thing I want to point out is that in Matthew, it says that if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Now, somebody might read that passage and say, well, this is great. This is wonderful. That red Ferrari I've always been wanted. Uh, now, now I can get it. But it's interesting that when Luke reports this, this part of the conversation, he translates it a little bit different. Luke says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
And when you think about it, that makes perfect sense because the Holy Spirit is the one who is the giver of all gifts. We talk about, the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit. So we need to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. That's the first invitation. The second comes from the pen of Sister White. She says, The Lord did not lock the reservoir of heaven after pouring his spirit upon the earth, the early disciples. We also may receive of the fullness of his blessing. Heaven is full of the treasures of his grace, and those who come to God in faith may claim all that he has promised. The reservoir was not locked when what happened in Acts chapter 2 and thereafter took place. In her commentary about that event on the day of Pentecost, she makes this statement, if all were willing, all would be filled with the Spirit. We may look back on what happened in the book of Acts and say, well, that was back then. That was a special occasion. We live 2,000 years later, but we can rely on the promise that if we keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking, we can have the same measure, the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit as was exhibited back then. As a matter of fact, as we get down toward the end of time, what happened in the book of Acts, we can call the early reign, and what happens at the end of time is the latter reign. It will be an even greater manifestation of the Spirit's power, and we need that today, and that's what we should be praying for today. I'm glad that our church has set aside this day worldwide as a day of prayer and fasting in seeking the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, there's an invitation I want to share with you that comes from, it's called the Revival and Reformation Committee. There was appointed a study group to form a, a committee to, uh, to look into this and to provide resources and materials and encouragement so that this day uh, could be benefited by that. And this, this is what they say. Imagine that you are a parent about to leave your children knowing that you will not see them again until the kingdom of heaven. What is the most important thing you could say to them? What was the burden of Jesus' heart as he closed his earthly ministry, knowing that he would not be with his disciples as before, after he ascended to heaven? As we read through his last prayers and counsel in John chapters 15 through 17, we discover repeating themes, unity, love, and seeking God through prayer. Jesus longed for his fledgling church to come together in purpose, harmony, and mission. Today, amid perhaps unprecedented polarization in the world, our nations and our church, we too need to heed Jesus' counsel to seek his spirit and come together for mission. The task seems daunting and impossible in our humanity. That's why we need to pray as never before for the, mir the miracle of reconciliation that only God can bring. We invite you to pray in your closet. We invite you to pray with your local church family. And we invite you to the Global Revival and Reformation Initiative of Prayer and Fasting. Perhaps you will not, you will not choose to fast totally from food. Perhaps you will fast from desserts or social media or eat sparingly of plant-based foods for a time. And then this quote that uh, they include from Sister White, now and onward till the close of time, the people of God should be more earnest, more wide awake, not trusting in their own wisdom, but in the wisdom of their leader. They should set aside days for fasting and prayer. And that's what our church has done today. 
As you choose to focus more deeply on prayer, God will bless you and strengthen your heart for the challenging days that come. So those are three invitations that we have from Jesus, from the pen of inspiration, and from the, this committee that has been uh, formed to set this day aside as a day of prayer and fasting. What is the purpose of fasting? What is it intended to do? Well, it's intended to sharpen our spiritual focus and to express our humility and our sincerity. The Bible is clear that when fasting is done for the right reason and from the right motive, that it brings us closer to God and allows God to act in a more powerful way. Now, pause here for just a minute. Somebody might be having this question. This question has always been in my mind, and I finally took the time to look it up. Why, why do we have the word fast? Here, it seems like an unusual word. When I think of the word fast, I think of swift and rapid and quick. But why does the word fast to per pertain to abstaining from food or, or, or the like? Well, I looked it up, and there's some interesting backgrounds. The word actually goes back uh, many hundreds of years to the 1200s. It comes from a word uh, that sounds like fasten, and it meant to make firm, to establish, to confirm, or to pledge. So you can see rooted in that idea, the idea of, of uh, uh, taking a special focus by abstaining from food. The original meaning was to hold firmly, to make fast, or to fasten. And from that, it went on to, to have for, firm control of oneself, to hold oneself in, abs, in observance. So the idea of fast in terms of uh, abstaining from food grew out of that. And then from that, uh, it kind of merged also to, uh, from the idea of firmly and strongly and vigorously. It went onto the idea of quick and swiftly and fast. I guess you can think of it in terms that uh, to say to run hard, a word like firm, to run hard is the same thing as to run fast. But that's, that's the background of the English word fast. The New Testament word uh, comes from a root that simply means to not eat. It's used 21 times in the New Testament. The Old Testament word, uh, the root of it means to cover your mouth. Well, you can see why that would uh, develop into the idea of fasting or abstaining from food. What kinds of fasts do we have? What kind of fasts does, does the Bible describe? Is it limited only to totally abstaining from food? And the answer to that is no. One can fast in many different ways. Yes, you can abstain from food for a period of time to sharpen your focus. But you can also abstain from certain foods. Somebody knows the answer to this question. Who in the Bible abstained from desserts for a while so his prayers would, uh, would, be, would be sharper? Who was that? I heard it somewhere. Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. He talks about that he was going to limit himself from desserts. Doesn't use the word dessert there, but that's what it's talking about. Uh, so that he could pray in a, in a uh, more dedicated way. What is God's favorite fast? Do you know the answer to that question? What is the favorite kind of fasting as far as God is concerned? Do you know what it is? Well, if you read Isaiah chapter 58, you'll find the answer, but I'll go ahead and tell you now anyway. The answer to that question, what is God's favorite kind of fast? It's when you share your food or your material goods with somebody who's in need. That's God's favorite way to fast. 
Now, in the Bible, you will find that there were occasions when people fasted from the wrong motive for the wrong purpose, and the, and the Lord spoke against that. But, as we have said, when God's people fasted for the right reason, they did it in sincerity and humility, they came closer to God, and God worked harder for them. Uh, if you have your outline there, you might notice that we have a number of examples. We're not going to go through them all. A number of examples where the Bible talks about how the people fasted and the Lord worked in a mighty way. Uh, I'll just point out a couple of them here. We notice that the first, the first two in the list have to do with uh, them fasting and the Lord bringing victory against their enemies. We see that they fasted uh, when there were times of great uh, sorrow and grief. I want to point the next one out to you. It's pretty interesting to me. When you think of King Ahab in the Bible, I don't know what image comes to your mind, but King Ahab, he was married, of course, to Jezebel. And he was one of, well, he was, not, he was not known for his piety. Let's put it that way. He was not known for his spirituality. He was involved in a lot of terrible, terrible things. One of the things that he did, which was a terrible thing, was that he coveted the vineyard of somebody, a subject of his kingdom. And he asked this person if he could purchase the vineyard, and, and the man declined. He said, no, this is part of my family inheritance. I, I'm not going to sell it to you. And uh, under the inspiration of his wicked wife Jezebel, uh, what happened? He killed that person, Naboth. He killed him and then acquired his vineyard. Well, this was a, a terrible, terrible thing, and the Lord sent Elijah to him with a message that, that uh, was going to pronounce his doom as a punishment for what he had done. But Ahab, this wicked king, he humbled himself and fasted and prayed for forgiveness. And you know what? The Lord heard his prayer. That, that's one of the more amazing things that I find in the Bible. This wicked king that did so many bad things, when he humbled himself and when he demonstrated his humility and sincerity by fasting, the Lord heard his prayer. And he said, the, the doom is going to come, but it's not going to come in your day. It's delayed. I have seen how you have sincerely uh, repented of that. We have a story here of, in the times of Jehoshaphat. Now, there's a mistake in the outline there. Uh, it was not the Assyrians that were uh, attacking them then. It was the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites. But nevertheless, they were under the threat of a very serious attack. And that's a wonderful story. We're not going to take time to study it now, but Second Chronicles chapter 20 talks about how a fast was proclaimed, and the Lord heard their prayer and, and uh, delivered them from their enemies. The, the next uh, three there in the list had to do with the promise of restoration after Israel had gone into captivity. The Lord had to discipline uh, the kingdom of Judah, and they were sent to Babylon for 70 years. After that time, we're told how Daniel fasted by limiting himself to certain foods, uh, in a way of, of uh, coming closer to God and, and appealing to him to, to fulfill his promise to restore uh, Judah. Nehemiah and Ezra lived during the time of this restoration, and there were certain challenges and hindrances that came up that, that prompted them to call for fasts. So in times of extremity, in times of need, in times of grief, God's people in the Bible fasted as a way of demonstrating their, their humility and their desire to come closer to him. And the Lord worked in their behalf. The people of Nineveh were some of the most wicked people in ancient times, the Assyrians. They were cruel, they were ruthless, they were merciless. And yet when Jonah went and said, Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days, to his surprise, they responded, they repented, 
and they were in sackcloth and ashes, and they, they fasted from the king all the way down. And the Lord recognized that, and again, the punishment was averted. So not only God's people, but people that, that uh, were outside of the official realm of God's people, although we're all God's creatures, when they fasted and prayed, good things happened. We know that Jesus, when he began his ministry, fasted for 40 days. And we know that on one occasion when he and three of the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the other disciples down below were trying to heal a man who was controlled by a demon spirit, and they couldn't do it. And when Jesus came down from the mountain and healed the man, they said, how come we weren't able to, to uh, drive out the demon in this, in this boy? And what Jesus said, I think, was significant. He said, this kind does not go out, but by prayer and fasting. So there's ample evidence in the Bible to show that fasting can be effective if done for the right reason and from the right motive. Today is a worldwide day of prayer and fasting, asking for the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the church fasted and sent out uh, the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they did an amazing work in sharing the gospel. So that's a little bit of the history in the Bible about fasting and how effective it was. What about us today? Is it appropriate for us in 2021 to have a day set aside especially for prayer and fasting? I believe that it is. We are living in awesome, exciting, but ominous times, aren't we? I believe that the, the, the things in the Bible that were predicted that pertain to the time just before Jesus comes, we see happening about us today. Now, I shared with you uh, something uh, last week or the week before uh, that, that struck me as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And I want you to look at this again in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 43. Daniel 11 verse 43 Daniel 11, verse 43, it's speaking about the king of the north in this prophecy. And it says, He will have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. The Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels, follow in his footsteps. Now, we have understood this part of the chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 11, uh, to refer to the historical papacy. Now, if you're visiting us today for the first time or you're watching online, I want to explain that uh, as students of prophecy, we believe that the Bible uh, speaks about the historical papacy, not individual Catholics. The Lord loves Catholics, and we love Catholics, right? But the Lord has something to say about a system, the hierarchy, that has changed the teachings of the Bible, and changed the very commandments of God written by his own finger. So the latter part of the book of Daniel is talking about, in the symbol of the king of the north, about this entity. And it says that he will have power over the treasures of gold and silver and the precious things of Egypt. And it talks about those who will be gathered to him, walking in his footsteps, following his heels. I believe this verse today is being fulfilled as never before. I might have shared with you before that there's something that is called the Council for Inclusive Capitalism. A group, a conglomerate of uh, global leading 
companies and foundations, the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, Bank of Maricard, Visa, MasterCard, on it goes. And this union of, of groups has developed an association with the Vatican. And it talks about in, the, in the, their own website how they are seeking moral guidance from the papacy. Now, I mentioned some of the groups that are a part of that. I did a little more reading this week, and I find that the office of the treasurer of the state of California is a part of that group. I asked myself, what business does the state of California have in seeking moral guidance from the Vatican? I don't know the answer to that question. Not only that, but what is one of the largest retirement systems, especially for state workers in California? It's PERS. Have you heard of PERS? Anybody heard of PERS? PERS is a part of this council. Why? I believe Daniel 11.43 is talking about it. It says that he will have power over the treasures of gold and silver. The amount of wealth that is controlled or managed by this group, the Council for Inclusive um, I lost it. Capitalism, thank you. The Council for Inclusive Capitalism. The amount of wealth that is under their management is over $12 trillion. Now, I can speak that those words and they fall off my tongue relatively easily. But do you have any consciousness of what that looks like in real life? I, I looked up a couple of comparisons, and I hope you indulge me for just a minute because I think it's a fulfillment of this verse that we're talking about. Let's say that I had in my hand a $100 bill. Now, this is not, this is not a $100 bill. It's a $1 bill. But let's say it was a $100 bill. And let's, put it, let's say that I put it on the, on the ground and I built a stack of one million. One million. One million dollars. It would be uh, a stack of 40 inches tall of $100 bills would be one million dollars, 40 inches high. That's one million. To make a billion, that stack of 100 $100 bills, that stack would have to be more than a half a mile tall, 0.63 miles high, more than half a million. They're all $100 bills stacked up. That would be only a billion, though. To make it a trillion dollars, that stack of $100 would have to be 631 miles into the air. That's a trillion. But that's only one trillion. The amount of wealth controlled by this group is 12 trillion. It would have to be more than 7,500 miles in the air to represent uh, the wealth that is controlled. And, and there's a, an alliance, a union, between that amount of wealth, the companies and foundations represented by this group, and the Vatican, including the state of California and the retirement system of PERS. I can't explain why that is. Why are they seeking moral guidance from the Vatican? And yet there it is in, in the scriptures. He will have power over the treasures of gold and silver. And there's power and influence represented by money today. So we are living in times when we can see Bible prophecy being fulfilled before our, various, before our very eyes. As never before, we need a day of prayer and fasting to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the story of Elijah. Elijah had that great... Uh, confrontation there on the top of Mount Carmel, you remember, 
There were the priests of Baal and Elijah himself. And the God who answered by fire was going to be declared to be the true God. And that's what happened. Elijah's sacrifice there, even though it was inundated by 12 barrels of water, still fire came from heaven and, and uh, consumed the sacrifice. Then, remember, there had been a drought that had lasted for three and a half years. The purpose of that drought was to draw, draw the people's attention to the fact that Baal wasn't the one giving them the rain. It was Jehovah God, the creator God, that was supplying the needs for life. So that was the purpose of this drought and the confrontation. And after that, because the people had, had uh, spoken their allegiance to Jehovah God as the one who was responsible for these blessings, it was time now for the drought to be over. And in 1 Kings 18.41, if you have your Bible, I want you to see this verse. 1 Kings 18.41. This is, I believe in this story, there's a promise that we can claim today. 1 Kings 18 and verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. What I find interesting about that verse is that that statement was made completely in faith. You don't find the rain coming to later in the story. As a matter of fact, Elijah went to pray, and it's an illustration of the type of prayer that we're talking about, persevering prayer. And he, had, he prayed how many times before his servant came back and said, yes, I see a little tiny cloud over there. How many times did he have to pray? Seven times. But before that, Elijah said, you know what? I hear something. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. You know, last week at my house, Monday at 930 in the morning, I heard the sound of the abundance of rain. Did it rain at your house this week? It rained so hard. There's a place where we have uh, two roofs that come together and form a valley there. The water was shooting out of that valley like seven or eight feet. I hadn't seen it rain that hard for quite a while. Elijah said, I hear the sound of, a, of an abundance of rain. And yet... The sky was as, as clear, no clouds in it whatsoever. By faith, he knew, though, that God's promise would be fulfilled. That's where we ought to be today. We ought to be able to hear the sound of the abundance of rain, not the physical rain that came when Elijah was there, but the, but the sound of the abundance of the latter rain, the coming of the Holy Spirit. By faith, we can claim that promise that God is going to send the rain and that the drought is going to be over and that Jesus can come soon. If God's people will pray and exhibit their humility by fasting, God will answer. There's a story that we're uh, given here of a story of a pastor by the name of Stephan. I, I get the impression that wasn't his real name. But he lived in Romania back in the 60s. A very oppressive government regime was uh, in power at that time. And uh, his, his preaching license was revoked. And in order to put food on the table, he had to resort to some strange and unusual means. He had to, at one time, he was pasting paper together to form shopping bags for people to take to the market. But, praise the Lord, after four years, his license to preach was reinstated. But during that time, he had done a lot of thinking. And when he came back to his church um, in Oradea, he said, we need, to, we need to pray and we need to ask for God's presence more and so for from a very uh, a church that maybe in a given year they had 10 baptisms or so they began to pray as never before 
And in the year 1974, they had a revival. They had 250 baptisms. And by the end of the of four years following that, their church had doubled. And it was all through prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. I'm going to read a number of quotations from uh, the, the writings of Sister White that, that uh, pertain to this. She says, a, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs. What? It's not money? It's not uh, this or that? No. True godliness. To seek this should be our first work. The time has come for a thorough reformation to take place. When this reformation begins, the spirit of prayer will act, actuate every believer and will banish from the church the spirit of discord and strife. Well, that's a side benefit that uh, is a very valuable thing, isn't it? Just so long as the church is satisfied with small things, will it fail of receiving the great things of God? Are we satisfied with small things? Are we, are we satisfied with limping along, leaking along, and uh, not really experiencing the true power that God wants to pour out upon us? The Lord can do more in one hour than we can do in a whole lifetime. And when he sees that his people are fully consecrated, let me tell you, a great work will be done in a short time. The message of truth will be carried into the dark places of the earth where it has never been proclaimed. Do we need that? To happen today? Absolutely we do. I'm going to read a few verses from the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. Joel chapter 2. We're going to begin around verse 13. Joel 2, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Back in their day, it was a common thing to express your grief by tearing your clothes apart. The Lord says, don't tear your clothes apart. Rend your heart. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and, re and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering, for the Lord your God. The book of Joel was written in a time of crisis, and uh, it wasn't too long uh, before the, uh, the kingdom was taken into captivity. But during this time of, of stress and duress, the prophet's message was to return to the Lord. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders and children, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the, to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations would rule over them. Why should they say among the people, Where is their God? And then it describes how the Lord would answer their prayer. And going through the, the chapter, it describes, going down to verse 28, It will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. On my men servants and maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now this was the very passage that was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost when the miracle took place where the tongues of fire appeared on their heads and they were given the ability to speak languages that were unknown to them prior to that. The question was raised, 
What's going on here? What's happening? Are these people drunk? And Peter said, oh, no, oh, no. This is what the prophet spoke about, and he quoted from the book of Joel. But what we need to understand is that the fulfillment of what happened during the day of Pentecost, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel was only a partial fulfillment. The more complete fulfillment of Joel awaits. Sister White says, if this prophecy of Joel met a partial fulfillment in the days of the apostles, we are living in a time when it is to be even more evidently manifest to the people of God. He will so bestow his spirit upon his people that they will become a light amid the moral darkness. I pause on that. Those two words are permitted to ask you the question, are we living in a period of time now of moral darkness? I heard this uh, week that the House of Representatives has, has, is initiating a rule that anything that is written, uh, any uh, law that's passed or whatever that's coming out of the House of Representatives will be, will be uh, how, how can I describe it, will be without gender indications. There won't be his and her, there won't be mom and dad, there won't be brother or sister, anything like this. All, all pronouns have to uh, uh, be indiscriminate in that regard. Have we come to a place of moral darkness? I think so. God will bestow his spirit upon his people that they will become a light amid the moral darkness and great light will be reflected in all parts of the world. Oh, that our faith might be increased, that the Lord might work mightily with his people. Mark Finley talks about a visit that he made to China. Now, China is a place where Christianity is not encouraged. I'm sure you know that. Nevertheless, there's a church, an Adventist church in Shenyang in China. That's uh, not too far from North Korea. And it's one of the largest Seventh-day Adventist churches in the world. It has well over 6,000 members. And this church, even though it began with only nine members, and remember, to be a Christian in, in, in China exposes yourself to persecution, loss of property, and even martyrdom. From a church of nine people that grew to this large church of 6,000, it has spawned over 300 church plants with as many as 50 to several hundred members each. So Pastor Finley asked them, how did this happen? What was your secret? What did you do? And the pastor simply responded, we prayed. We prayed. He said, every morning we have a prayer meeting from 4.30 a.m. to 6 a.m., we have it at that time because people are busy. People have to go to work. People have to do different things. So we meet from 4.30 to 6. And typically, uh, there will be 150 people at that early morning prayer meeting. And through the years, the Lord has answered their prayers. And they have been a light amidst moral darkness. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. That's our appeal today. Make this a day of prayer and fasting in whatever way you choose to fast. And don't necessarily limit it to this one day. Ask, seek, and knock. In fact, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain power. We need this to come to an end. How many more times will we have to turn the calendar over to a new year and continue to experience life on this planet when we could be with Jesus in heaven? So I hope that you 
adopt this way of thinking. And this being the first Sabbath of the new year, you know I have to say, read the Bible every day, read the Bible every year. If you just read three or four chapters of the Bible every day, you will read the entire Bible through the course of this new year. What a blessing it will be to you if you do that. Every year when we come to the end of the year, I look and I say, wow, look what happened back, this, back, back in the past year. I can't imagine what next year is going to be like, how it could possibly top what we just went through. And yet it seems that every year, that's exactly what happens. So I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. But I do know that there is one on a throne who is in charge. And if we will cooperate with his leadership, and if we will keep on asking, seeking, and knocking, he will do wondrous things for us and through us. May that be our experience in this year is my prayer.